Pulse Audio Podcast Network. My silences had not protected me. Your silence will not protect you. Audrey Lord. If that name sounds familiar, that's because we covered her all the way back in episode 35. And if that's not a hint to you, we're celebrating Pride Month. We're getting glittery, we're getting colorful, and we're getting proud AF. Uh, so welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two longtime besties whine about women that you probably haven't heard of, but deaf should have. Mm-hmm. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And for anyone who is just finding us, uh, I want to be very, very clear. We do not only cover queer women during Pride Month. We cover them year round, but we like really zero in on focusing on queer women during Pride Month. And that's what we're doing this month. So I'm super excited. Yay. I'm already I'm already seeing like something something I'm really enjoying is that especially on social media what I'm seeing is a lot of content that's related to celebrating everyone involved in the queer community or everyone pride is for including people who are in the closet, people mm-hmm. in straight passing relationships, people who do or don't conform to certain gender norms, you know, all of that. And just the broader recognition, I almost said recognition, that's not a word. (laughs) the, The broader recognition that, you know, gender, sexuality, love, like all of that's on a spectrum and that it really is, you know, it's, you don't have to be, you know, a certain kind of LGBTQ plus person for pride to be for you. You don't even have to be out because right. it's not always safe for people. Some people aren't ready, you know, and that's just been, I don't know, that's wonderful. And so well, I'm super excited to be covering some amazing queer women this month, Yeah, especially because um, we went on a little bit of an unintended hiatus because we were going to record before we went to Texas and we weren't able to. Yep. And then we were in Texas. Which was awesome. And then we got back from Texas and I got a stomach flu that I'm pretty sure cleared everything out that has ever been inside my body. Like the gum I swallowed as a five-year-old is gone. It's all gone. There's nothing left. And I was laying in bed wishing for death. And I got COVID, so I just like slept for a week. Yeah. Kelly and I, (laughs) we always talk about how we're so in sync. She got COVID. I got the stomach flu. It tested negative twice for COVID. Yeah. So we, anyone who's we were, like, but we were sure? both out of commission. Yeah. And it was, it was awful. And so we were both just kind of not feeling great. So we didn't record, but before we went to Texas, we were going to cover Texas specific women mm-hmm. as like a celebration of that. And the woman I started doing my research on, I was like, oh man, I'm not going to be able to like touch her story for a month now because like we're doing pride. And I was looking at some lists of, you know, like queer women you should know. And her name popped up. I'm like, wait a goddamn second. Like, yes. <laughs> and there it is in the little footnote of her wiki page. She had a she had a lifelong same sex partner. I was Aww. like, yay! I don't have to redo anything. <laughs> but truly, that's Kisma. It's amazing. Yeah. Also, th- uh, I hope all of our patrons enjoyed our ridiculous. Uh, what are they called? Lenses. Lenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Patreon, it's like Snapchat 
kind of. You get to make a quick little video or a picture and it lasts for, I think, 24 hours or something. So we did a ton of that in Texas. So yeah. our patrons I, got a firsthand look into, like, the bullshit we were up to. I'm, I'm going to make, like, a slideshow voiceover thing for them, too. That's why I asked for your pictures. Oh, okay. Did I upload those? I have no idea. Okay, look. here's the thing. The only reason I asked is because I think I accidentally synced my phone gallery. I'm going to have all these random to our Google. You're going to have a lot of pictures of Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's 90% like, of my pictures. It's my Arthur animals. and the dogs. Yeah. yeah. So sorry about that. Also a bunch of pictures of random stuff that's like, oh, I'm just going to, I need, I need this to remember it. Like I took a picture of a list so I didn't have to copy the list. I do that too. Yep. But yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Maybe just, you just throw some pictures of Arthur in there for fun. <laughs> was not in Texas. Yep. Was not in Texas except in spirit. You know what I'm a little disappointed about? Uh, I did get the postcards, but the hotel we stayed at Mm -hmm. had two hotel cats that just wandered around the grounds being cute. Uh, We didn't get any pictures of them. I'm surprised you didn't take any pictures of them. Specifically, I didn't get pictures of me with them. Because there was a little black cat named Shadow... And he, he was around a lot. He was very social. But then there was the the Calico one, not Calico, like tortoise shell yep. named Callie. And she was chilling outside of our room for like two days. Yeah. And probably would have come in if I if I had let Emily let her in. Yeah. She she tried to come into our she room. she like started coming and I was like, nope. She tried to come in your room. You thought about it. There, there was a second where you were like, I was like mm. but allergies. That's how cute these cats were. They were amazing. But yeah, special shout out to Kina for inviting us to Texas and allowing us to be in the war reenactment. It went very well, except I missed my cue to set off my bomb, which is my greatest shame. So Emily didn't get to get blown up by a bomb. She just died because I, she forgot. I ducked behind a bush. <laughs> they they threw a pretend grenade. I forgot to set off the explosion because my gun kept jamming, I got distracted by it. By the time I realized I'd missed my cue, the the like American soldiers were moving past us. And I was like, well, I could set it off now, but I don't know if, like what if they're too close because you know there's a the, blast the, bla- the blanks yeah. can hurt. There's a we have we have pyrotechnics, we have a flamethrower that's going off, and there was all the safety information. I'm like, you know what? When in doubt, don't detonate the bomb. Just don't do it. <laughs> That's, that sounds like a good plan. So I, yeah, I just kind of like ducked behind my bush. Although I don't think anyone really noticed because after the reenactment, everyone was like, where were you guys? <laughs> I mean, that makes sense for me. I was in like a little bunker, but. I was all, I was very ducked behind a bush. Yeah. that was. I mean, that you bush were out enough that friend. they got that picture of you. Oh yeah. That was uh, when we were waiting though for everything to start. And I was just chilling on my rock in my uniform with my gun. Yeah. And I looked, I looked like. It was funny because I looked so miserable. You looked like you were picture. ready for war. I looked though. like I looked like very battle hardened where I'm just like ready to take a drag on my cigarette. Like I'm getting too old for this shit. But it's just because I was anxious and squinting. Because yeah, it was it sunny. Was so I was just kinda like, Ugh. <laughs> I looked all angsty. It was great. But we'll we'll continue to post pictures from that trip. It was amazing. And uh, I will we'll, do it again. We will probably continue to 10. tell stories we'll about it. it. Also, a uh, special shout out to our new friend at Perspective Winery yes. in Fredericksburg, Hello. Texas. He is a gentleman from London. 
who found himself in Fredericksburg, Texas, where he runs a wine bar in the house that Admiral Nimitz, who like controlled the Pacific Theater for for the Allies, or at least the Americans, excuse me, was born in. And he's like, oh yeah, Admiral Nimitz was born in that room. I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) Even Kina was like, what? And she works for the museum that is basically like founded in his honor. (laughs) So... It was amazing, especially because we were walking around the town and we heard some music playing. And so Keena and I start getting like very interpretive dancing, but it was also very sensual and slightly inappropriate. And I was trying to figure out if the wine bar we were walking by was even open because apparently everything closes early in Fredericksburg and he comes out onto the porch. Yeah, he comes out of the building. Don't mind them. (laughs) And he's he's like, like, we're open. Do you guys want to come in? I was so embarrassed. I I was like, well. I was so tempted to be like, I'm not with them. Yeah. But oh no, they're hot. I'll follow them. Yeah, it's right. fine. But yeah, he uh, we we got to talking. He plays piano. So if you are ever in Fredericksburg, Texas, go to Prospective Wineries. Yeah, follow it was them amazing. On Instagram. He was a delight. He gave us free CDs of his piano music, was am- which is amazing. He yeah. performed Elton fucking John for us. I just well, about died. it was died. for that other couple, and we just happened to be in the room with the piano. You know, it was for all of us. Okay, we- it was great. <laughs> We were innocent bystanders to his majesty. Yeah. It was, yeah. Seriously, yeah. like highly recommend. And the wine blew my goddamn mind. It was yeah, we so did, good. We did a wine we flight. We did wine flights. Keena and Emily did like the same one. They did the sweet wines and yeah. I did the Texas wines because I was like, we're in Texas. So yep. I'm going to drink their wine. And I actually bought a bottle, even though I couldn't bring it home with me. And Keena's going to ship it to me. Like that's how good the wine was. Yeah. I, I'm actually... I, I, I didn't want to deal with, like, the ship it, like, nah. uh, the mail stresses me out. But now I'm like, I really should have just bought a bottle of fucking wine. I wonder if I call him and say, like, I'll pay for the you shipping and handling. Why call him? Kina has to send me my bottle. Why wouldn't you just get Kina to buy it and then just put both wines in the I same I know, but I, I also just, like, I'm like, I just want to keep buying wine from this guy because it's so good. It's so fucking good. There was that one Texas wine that you had, the, I think it was yeah, the red. That was that blew my mind. I took I, I took a picture of the menu. Ships. I think that's why I had Keena oh, buy. Oh yeah, it. yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, hey. you'd still be buying the wine from him. Keena's just shipping it to us. Johnson, will you do me a favor? Um. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening to our ramblings about Texas. And speaking of wine, we are drinking some. That's yeah. part of our shtick. It's summer, and I don't know if Target ever took away their wines. Or, like, if this is only during the summer, but it's their Sun Pop brand, which we had last year, I think. It was amazing. And we had the strawberry, which I bought a bottle of when I bought this because I really like it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't see this flavor last year, so I bought it, and now we're going to drink it. It's a caramel apple Moscato. Oh, my God. Get in my mouth. I'm so excited. And I forgot to pour beforehand, so. So I'm I'm having a bonfire tonight with some friends. Don't tell Kelly she's not invited. Um, what? No. <laughs> and I need to I need to stop at Target to get some stuff uh, that didn't come with my grocery oh, delivery. And now I'm like, maybe I should. Put, I I've already I've already spent too much goddamn money on booze. <laughs> yeah, that's my life. But I feel like I need to buy a bottle of this. Or Kelly, if you want to buy a bottle, you could totally bring it. Whatever. All right. Um, 
Cheers to Texas. Cheers to Kina. Cheers to pride. Cheers to pride. Fucking pride. Oh, and also cheers to all the people who are going to be like really pissy about pride this month. Mm-hmm. They were like, why are there all the rainbows at Target? Because it pisses you off. That's why. Fuck off. To all of you out there, I hope you have an uncomfortable Yeah, To all you homophobes out there, I hope this month is very uncomfortable for you. Because that is also, you know, you could always just like get over it. You could get over it or you could be uncomfortable. The choice is yours. That is true. Those are your options. Mmm. It's good. I taste the caramel. I know. It's like, it's kind of like an aftertaste, but it's good. Like it legit tastes like caramel I thought it was going to be more of a green apple flavor. And I thought the caramel was more of a marketing thing. Like, oh, caramel sounds delicious. I taste the caramel. That's amazing. It's very smooth too. Like I'm a big fan of the bubbly carbonated Moscatos. This is not that, which is great because Kelly, you can't have carbonated stuff. Which I felt bad because I bought a bunch of cut water for the bonfire and I was like, oh, wait, shit. What is cut water? <laughs> it's, uh, they're cocktails in a can oh. and they're carbonated. Some of them aren't. Like, I've, I've There's noticed There's a pina that. colada one that's not. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not a fan of that one. Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that, that sometimes, well, and it sucks because, yeah, a lot, even like, I was like, oh, I kind of want to buy like wine in a can, but they're all yeah. like spritzers, which means yep. they're carbonated. I'm like, God damn it. Why can't things in cans be non-carbonated? It's, you can it's get wine, a when wine I buy... in a carton. That's true. Yeah. Like the Boda boxes are actually pretty good. Um, but when a lot of times if I buy like small can, canned booze, I'll buy like coffee, mm-hmm. the, the coffee and hard alcohol because they're not going to be carbonated. Yeah. Love it. So I guess I will start. Yeah, you're going first. <laughs> Let me adjust. It's actually not going to be very long. It's going to be a lot of pronunciation, though. How are my toes looking? Let me fix my hair. I know everyone's very concerned about how I look. Let me uh, shower real quick Mm -hmm. so I can be presentable. 20 minutes later. That's actually something I need to do today. I've not showered yet. I decide to sleep in instead because fuck it. I'm not trying to impress anyone here or at Target. <laughs> not yet. Not till tonight. To the bonfire, yep. Not till tonight. We're fine. So Emma, Johanna, Elizabeth, Tross. Okay. Emma, Tross. Johanna, Elizabeth, Tross. Tross. We'll Tross. I German. love, she has four names. Yep. She's going to make you say it. No, I'm going to stick with Emma for the rest of it. <laughs> But she was born in on January 6, 1863 in, in Grancy in the kingdom of Prussia, which obviously doesn't exist anymore. Okay. When you said Grancy, I was like, am I just supposed to know where that is? No. Oh, yeah. You know, Grancy, it's just north of, you know, no, Tumbleton? this is German. Okay. Um, so in the kingdom of Prussia, which is now a part, well, which was a part of the German confederation. I don't actually know what Prussia is now. I think it got split into several countries. Russia. <laughs> Mother Google says to me, speaking words of wisdom. Prussia was like huge. Yeah, Prussia. It, it's funny because so for yeah, being I, a place don't we don't talk was. about anymore, it was a very big deal. It was like the Ottoman Empire was also a very mm-hmm. big deal. But I mean, it's like mostly Germany, but then it's also like part into Russia. But stuff. she's in that general... Hemisphere area. area. I'm just going to vaguely gesture to the map of Europe. She was like somewhere over here. 
right? <laughs> um, so there's not a lot known about like her early life and her growing up and stuff like that, which is interesting. Um, we do know that she came from a family of like educational theorists, like so people that like to learn and learn about things. Um, she also had a very strong knack for languages and was able to become proficient in seven different languages. As someone who is struggling to learn Spanish, which I took, I, I took years of in elementary school, a semester of in middle school, and two years in high school. That blows my that blows my mind. Right. Hey, Spanish speakers, how do I say that blows my fucking mind en español? Let us know. Estoy aprendiendo español. <laughs> um, we do know that she attended school in Bromberg and passed her examinations and then went on to study at the women's gymnasium. That's what they called them back I then. I know. I love that. And what's interesting about it is it's kind of a finishing school, but not really. Like it, It's a school that's supposed to prepare you for higher education. Like, like a prep school. Which I'm like, that's interesting. Especially it's interesting that women were allowed to go to the gymnasiums and they had women-specific gymnasiums, yeah. but women were barred from higher education. That's so weird. I The way I'm imagining the school working, it's a bunch of posh ladies sitting at their desks, but if you get the answer wrong, they hit you with a dodgeball. But if you catch the dodgeball, then you get to a- ask the teacher a question and then throw the dodgeball at them. <laughs> It's like this beautiful combination of School intellectual and education gym. and gym class. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's very interesting that like the term of like what a gymnasium is these days is very different, yeah. or at least in the United States. Um, she, al- she often would attend lectures on uh, like kind of various subjects. Like, basically whatever they would let her into. Mm-hmm. But um, her favorite was... I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Philology. I'm not even joking. That's how it's spelled. Philology. And, um, um, which is a branch of knowledge to do with like structure and historical development and relationships of languages. It was language shit. Okay. Okay. Naturally, the study of language word is unpronounceable <laughs> it's unpronounceable um wait it couldn't just be linguistic i know what what is happening <laughs> so yeah um there's a philologist who's listening and she's like you dumb bitches and so the interesting thing is um as i said women were barred from higher education so when she did attend these lectures a lot of times she had to like sit behind a curtain so like people wouldn't know she was there I, w- I wish everyone could see the like, are you fucking kidding me face I just made? Yeah, it was great. You might have been able to hear it. Because even though this is... Just disappointment. Well, like this is the podcast. We talk about this stuff all the time. And yet I'm still surprised. Like, really? Right. Because it's so stupid. Oh, 100%. Um, so Emma would begin her working career as a teacher in the Grand Sea Public School. Um, and then would go on to teach at the Women's Gymnasium dodgeball um she would then move to being a governess in i don't even know why i kept this town name in here because it's it's one of those that like you look at it and it's what so in schneidinglingenham schneidinglingenham <laughs> near magdeburg got that one. Oh my god i love it i hope actually that you pronounce schleidenlingenham 
correctly and then Magdeburg, the one you're very confident about. No. No. It's actually. I actually. So, okay. Actually, all of the letters are silent except for Berg. <laughs> I should have asked for help with the German pronunciation. We have a German correspondent, Sasha, honey. But I wasn't expecting to cover this woman today. And the woman I was going to cover, my notes disappeared. So I like quickly finished these. And yeah. so I'm really sorry, Sasha. Sasha is gonna she's gonna send us a voice message she's gonna be like you know what though you 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 did your best and I respect the effort hopefully instead of being like you Philistines how dare you right I'm gonna hit you with a dodgeball now (laughs) she would then go back to public school teaching in Buckberg Hills and then would return to Hanover um and passed the examination to become a principal. So then she began. She became a principal uh, of a women's gymnasium and boarding school in Würzburg. 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 Um, she would then go on holiday to some place called the Air Valley. A H R. So maybe it's R. I'm gonna go with Air. Arr. Um, so and the she became. She loved that spot so much after going on one holiday there that she resigned her position, moved there, and then began to publish poetry on it. Okay. I love her so much, but I am also deeply envious. I know. And so I'm kind of, I kind of hate her right now. Like, who doesn't want to just, like, quit their job, move to someplace beautiful, and just live off of their creative labor? I know. God, um, she would go on to open a girls' boarding school um, with the Baroness von Bartleben. Baroness von Bartleben, um, in Bad Neuenar. Bad Neuner. <laughs> it's N E U E N A H R. I call it a Bad Neuner. Okay, which is very it's, disappointing. I think it's a town name. Like, if anything, a Neuner should just relax you. <laughs> Not if it's bad. If yeah. Like, oh, that was like what, what are you doing where it's bad? <laughs> okay. So she opened a boarding school. Cool. In the following years, she kind of, I couldn't find if she like, like I said, there was not a lot of information. I couldn't tell if she was still working at the boarding school and then just writing in her spare time. But that's what I like to imagine. So, but. Two years after opening the boarding school, she began publishing a series of works exam- examining homosexuality and seeking to redefine the definition of natural sexuality because she was very much on homosexuality is natural. It's normal. It's fine. We literally see it in nature all the fucking time. Exactly. And so she was writing books about this and her first publication was, you know, I left the German pronunciations in my notes, but I'm not going to because I, I, I don't want Sasha to hit me with a dodgeball. Yep. If you can dodge a book, you can dodge a ball. So her first publication was Contrary Sexuality in Relation to Marriage and the Women Question. So oh, that, the German. women question. What are women? Who are women? When are women? So this was a fir- the first work written by a German woman on sexuality. And like this, sexuality period um, or like homosexuality. Well, German woman. Okay. We're not saying any woman, but I think it's no, 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 particularly but... homosexuality, but like whatever the full topic of her book is. Contrary sexuality. Okay. Um, she was also the first known woman to write scientifically about lesbians. So Love it. it's both topics, I think. Um, her study was actually published a year before Magnus H- 
Hirschfeld's first publication, and he's a really famous um, German like sexologist and yeah dude in that area. So he she actually published before him, and he, she also published prior to Johanna Elderskirchen and Anna Ruling, who are also big in that in particularly in Germany mm-hmm. in you know feminism and sexuality and you know I'm trying to remember was Hirschfield the guy that created the the gauge for homosexuality no like idea. I like did not look into him oh you, you keep talking I'm gonna go to mother google mother google you're funny um So um, in her book, she argued that homosexuality is a natural state and a diversity which appears in nature. She argued that same-sex attraction and and asexuality were not abnormal or exceptions to the natural order, but part of it. As such, she said homosexual people should not be discriminated against and the state should take measures to protect people's right to sexual freedoms. What a novel concept. Yeah, and this is in 1895. Oh, my God. 1895, Lizzie Warren has just murdered her parents three years prior. She saw sexual binaryism as a moralistic position rather than a scientific one, which it absolutely is. Yep. Um, So, and this was the first publication followed by two other publications on like this type of topic, like I said, and she was actually the first person to kind of give a definition to asexuality. Um, it was in a book, her second book called a woman psychological biographical study of a contrary sex sexual 1897. And so under, in her book, the term was actually, um, a sensuality, but it is what it has developed into asexuality now. And she was brave enough to actually write in the book, um, Author has the courage to admit to this category. So in her book, in her writing, she was like, hey, I'm writing about asexuality and I and I'm saying I am one. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, is really at that time pre-revolutionary to not only to be writing about it, to be like, but by the way. Also, this the the scale I was thinking of was is the Kinsey scale from Dr. Alfred Kinsey. But the reason Hirschfeld sounds so so familiar, it was him and his institute that kind of revolutionized um, sex 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 affirmation surgery with Dora Richter and Lily Elba, who we've we've talked about before. Yep, I was like. I was like, I'm I wasn't pretty sure, sure he's on the he good the side guy. of it. No, 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 no. But I, I couldn't remember if that was the guy that we'd we'd touched yeah. on before. But yeah, he was. So we have touched on him. We have talked about him. So after her book on asexuality and, you know, stuff like that, she then came out with, is free love, in quotes, immoral? Um, censorship quickly, like, cause this was still under the Reich. We're in Germany. It's Prussia, but it's Germany. That's what they called their leaders. Oh, okay. I, I was Hitler thinking, was the third Reich. No, no, no. That, and that, that took me a second. I was like, I thought we were in like the 1800s. What's happening? Yeah, you're right. But that's why I didn't say specifically the third Reich. Yeah. They're just under 
It's like the, the only Reich. Reich we ever hear about. So oh, 100% I just... <laughs> it is. But yeah, so in in Austria, Hungary, Prussia, that mm-hmm. area. Um, but yeah, they it got quickly banned as immoral um, throughout the German Empire, Austria, Hungary, and Russia. So like all the surrounding areas, mm-hmm. they're all like, no. God, you know, it's it's so weird because there's this prevalent myth that homosexuality, asexuality, transgender, all of that is this new invention. And I, I think I'm I think I'm trying finally figuring it out. What if the censorship of those people and their literature contributed to us having this perception that they've just magically popped out of the ground like daisies in the last 10 years. Huh. Huh. So weird. So after writing about all of this stuff, she kind of pivoted um, a few years later, not to like, not her stance, just Mm -hmm. what she was writing about. And she actually began writing um, articles about ancient medical knowledge and like tools and stuff. So the first two articles she wrote were about um, a book called Burnt Substances and Sources of the Drugs Supplied to the Greeks, which was by Alexander of Trallis, which is, so these are all real old. Yeah. And basically she's just writing about like, man, look what they used to do. Isn't this weird? We've come so far. And and I mean, both kind of criticizing it, but also being like, hey, like, look at these remedies. Like, yeah, we can still use this knowledge. So it's really interesting. She's like, I'm a sexual revolutionary, but also I'm a huge nerd right (laughs) i can Um, be all things she would eventually go on to publish more about different like areas as well she would go um on to egyptian and medieval medical practices in norway specifically and like again how they were used what they did how is it how is it different how is it similar and like it's really interesting um during these years that she was writing about uh, medical knowledge, she met Dr. George Alexander Constantine Kuhls or Kuhls. That's a Soup name. Schools. Um, whom she would eventually fall in love with and marry. Aww. So she's an asexual, but she's like, I found someone I want to spend my life with. Because you can be asexual and, and still do that. Still have romantic feelings and still have a committed relationship. Right? Yeah. Also, asexuality doesn't look like one, like someone who has zero sexual characteristics. Um, That's not what this is. So because at the time, German law forbade married women to teach. Jesus Christ. That was actually fairly common, not I just know. in Germany. I and, like, know. It's so stupid. It was basically because a lot of people felt like once you're married as a woman, your job is to have babies. And it's, oh, yeah, it makes to, me so sick. To dedicate yourself to your husband. So obviously she lost her employment upon her marriage. Um, but actually be, became a clinician in a diabetes clinic that her and her husband founded. Aww. I don't know where she's getting all this knowledge from, but if, like, I love that she's just doing all this, like an actual, she's like, like a medical true scientific genius. shit, even though she's not trained like in research, but she's doing all this research first on sexuality and then on like ancient medieval practices and like now diabetes. I love it. Oh my God. I, I really want to know more about her background because she, her yeah, whole medical, her medical interest and work seems to come out of nowhere, but you, you know, it didn't, you know, there's right. something behind that. Well, and I wonder if she started at least on the sexuality portion because she was, she was like, I don't have these urges. I'm not attracted to people in the same way other people are. So I wonder 
yeah, part of me wonders if her, the fact that she didn't have those urges and she watched other people, like if that made her be like, oh, I want to look more into this or yeah, like where it came from. Well, and just, yeah, is she just kind of DIYing all of this knowledge? Does she have some kind of education in that area? I Yeah, because like we know she went to school yeah. and the gymnasium, but we don't. Yeah, know what she, like, was it just general or, like, yeah, did she specify knowledge? I mean, obviously she had a love of languages and would do yeah. that, but that doesn't seem to correlate. So, yeah, it would, I know, it's sad. She's such a fucking nerd and I love her. So, like I said, her and her husband opened a diabetes clinic and where she started working. And it was one of the first in their specific area to, to treat diabetic patients. Um, they would go on to have a daughter a few years later, um, and sh- she would start working more in the lab instead of like the clinic side, which again, I'm like, how do you have this knowledge or, Yeah. Are mm-hmm. you just learning it on the fly? But it's still cool. Um, and she continued to publish. Um, so a lot of her original articles were written either semi-anonymously or, you know, like, not under pseudonyms, but kind of quietly. Yeah. Because, you know, she's a woman. And at this point, because she's pe- publishing medical research, she just decided to go by her. She just shortened her name. And so instead of saying Emma, it was just E. Cools or E. Cools Tross. that was not uncommon, no. especially to try and kind of disguise your gender. Exactly. Because if someone, no one's going to pick up a book, a medical book by someone named Emma. But yep. E. Cools, like... Dude, oh right. my god, that's my new rap name. E-Cools. 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 Um, so she Coming her, at ya, dropping a sick beat. <laughs> so she and her husband would go on to publish their own article or book together, and it was The Medicine of Broslau. So this is, like, she must have, like, just dragged him into, like, hey, want to learn about old medical shit with me? Because this time it was medieval medical practices in Braslau. So that's why it was called Medicine of Braslau. Like, Dude, can you imagine I really how- just hope she was like, do you want to go on vacation to Braslau? And then they go and then she's like, so we're just going to go look at all these old medical shit. Okay, first of all, that is the vacation I want to take. Second of all, I love that I, I, Emma would have the most amazing podcast. She would have 10 of them and they would all be about the most specific and fascinating shit. So, um... In 1923, her husband returned from war and died shortly after. Oh. Um, and his cousin, Ludwig, Ludwig Kuhls, um, would come and move to the town to um, help Emma run the clinic. Mm-hmm. And, however, he had a morphine addiction. <gasps> no. So, um, obviously, like, him and Emma kind of had their own struggles, but then they also struggled to keep the clinic open because obviously he wasn't in the shape to help treat people. Um, But then uh, Emma's daughter married a physician and they, uh, Irwin, and they were able to like bring him in. And so then he took over the clinic um, and they kind of like, you know, just was like cousin go away. Yeah. Um, her daughter ended up having five children and in her later life, Emma did a lot of like, the governess nannying mm-hmm. grant, but like kind of grandma, kind of not like, yeah, but she, so she took care of the children and she continued publishing medical articles. Um, uh, she kind of f- started focusing mainly on diabetes and she wrote two articles, endurance of diabetes and persistent cure of diabetes. 
So that was good. Yeah. Um, she would lose her sight as she got older and was completely b- blind by the time of her death on July 23rd, 1949. Oh. Um, in 2010, the Schwules, Sh- I don't know. A museum uh, held an exhibit to honor her pioneering work in sexology. And in 2011, um, the exhibit, the same, the same exhibit was shown in her honor in Mannheim. So people are like have kind of like brought her back, but not really. Cause obviously that was several yeah. years ago, but yeah, she was 86 when she died. So she lived a yeah. long life and did like the thing that bothers me is she clearly did a ton, but nothing is known about it. Yeah. Like there's no background. I, she did so much writing and it was her own words too. And very often the women we cover don't get to tell their own stories or right. express their own ideas. It's all secondhand. So uh, yeah, that's kind of frustrating. I also love the the idea of the asexual sexologist, like the right. asexologist, because like we talked about in the beginning, you know, there's not one way to be part of the LGBTQ plus community, exactly. or you know, there's not one way to be a lesbian or bi or right. pan or Everyone's trans. Be their own thing, exactly. And you know, being asexual does not immediately dictate that like you have no sexual characteristics you have zero interest in sex you never have sex you're not you know like there are all these assumptions that are made surrounding that label and it's and it like the second you get in a relationship not all the time but there's some people that like when someone who's asexual or aromantic gets into a relationship of any kind they're like clearly you're not asexual or clearly you're not aromantic and it's like no that's not how that works yeah it's like Oh, you've had sex and you can't be ace. No, that's not how it works because some people will, you know, whether it's like, oh, well, it's important to my partner. I don't really give a shit about it, but it makes them happy or even for the the cause for procreation. Exactly. Like there are reasons people do what they do. Yeah. And it is none of your business. Yep. Um, I, that, that's something else that I like is really coming out more is. Labels can be very comforting. They can be very validating to hear like, oh yeah, that that's me or that describes me. I finally have a word for it. And also there are other people like me. That being said, there are some people who just don't like labels because nothing quite feels right or fits or because of the preconceptions associated with a label. Right. And that's okay too. And I love that there's more acceptance for that also. Right. You know, it's like you don't have to pick a team. You don't have to pick a label. You can just be. don't fit neatly in boxes. Exactly. That's not how life works. That's not how people work. So many shades of gray. Like, I can be a different person from minute to minute, for God's sakes. Right. And I I had a a professor in college, and one of her favorite quotes was, what was it? Of course I contradict myself where I contain multitudes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I wanted to cover Emma because one, she was asex or yeah, asexual. Um, but two, just because she wrote about stuff that we are still dealing with today that, you know, like the fact that she was just like, guys, this is completely na like she came out of nowhere and then was just like, guys, this is completely natural and your views are like moralistic and like religious based. You know, it yep. has nothing to do with the natural order. She was not afraid to be spill that beer stein. Right. The tea. She spilled all the tea. Yes. 
that German, sweet German tea, also known as beer. Beer. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I know. I'm sad that there wasn't as much information. So I don't know, maybe Sasha, if you know more or, you know, because maybe she's more celebrated in Germany. I don't know. Um, But yeah, that's what I could find. Just heating up in Germany. Well, thank you for sharing that. So today I'm going to be whining about Barbara Jordan. And she's a bit of a more recent figure. Let's say the name sounds vaguely familiar. Um, I'm very excited because this was the Texas woman I had decided to cover who yeah. that I also found out was a lesbian. I was like, oh my God, it works on literally every level. <laughs> so uh, Barbara Jordan was born in Houston, Tejas. Tejas. On February 21st, 1936, which means we're birthday buddies, and there's just 50 years, 55 years separating us. So again, this she is could a, like be your mother, and this it wouldn't is be a weird. fourth level that this works on. Like, I, I'm, I'm so excited. So her father, Benjamin, was a Baptist preacher, and her mother, Arlene, taught in the church. So religion and the church were a large part of her upbringing. I love that name, Arlene. It's spelled A-R-L-Y-N-E, and as oh. much as I'm not... It's Arlene. N- I th- I'm pretty sure it's Arlene. But. Every time I read it, immediately Arlene came to mind, so I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong. And as much as I've kind of gotten frustrated with, it's like, hey, we have one name and 10 billion ways to spell it, and none of them make sense... I do like that spelling, and I almost feel like that might be the more traditional spelling. Maybe, yeah. instead of E-N-E. Arlene, 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 Arlene. Are you done? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> yet to be seen. So Barbara's family had a unique connection to Texas history. Her maternal great-grandfather, so Arlene's grandfather was Edward Patton who served in the Texas House of Representatives from 1891 to 1893 and if you're surprised that a black man was serving in the Texas House of Representatives during that time you're not alone did I was you also even surprised that she was black oh I don't think I did I'm no, sorry and I'm like that's kind what? of important to the story Barbara is black <laughs> her family is black <laughs> I'm so sorry I know you were like fourth dimension I'm like you only mentioned three but yep. sure go on yeah sorry okay um, but yeah, I was also surprised. So I, you know, I did a little research as I want to do. So after the American Civil War, black Americans readily held political offices across the country, even in southern states. In fact, Richard Allen, the first black man to serve in the Texas House of Representatives, was elected in 1870, which I think was only five years wow. after the Emancipation Proclamation. So Good job, Tejas. Yeah. Actually, I think it was only five years, maybe after Juneteenth. Because obviously the Emancipation Proclamation did not immediately free everyone. So. Yeah, it, yeah. But yeah, just like no, a, we've discussed a that. relatively short amount of time. But poten- but potential social and political mobility for Black Americans was short lived as Jim Crow laws, segregation, racist mobs, voter fraud, and and on and on and on. And you know, just like start listing a bunch of horrible things were all weaponized against Black Americans to bar them from office, voting, and even force them out of the community. So gross reconstruction could have been awesome and it wasn't Grr. people are dicks. So Barbara's great grandfather was one of the last black men to hold office in the Texas house of representatives. And at the time of his election, he was the only black man in the whole house of reps. Like wow. he was the only dude there. 
So growing up, Barbara was a good student. She graduated from Phyllis Wheatley High School with honors in 1952. And if that school name sounds familiar, that's because Phyllis Wheatley is a noble early black American poet. Yeah. I thought about covering her. Um, She's kind of on the line as far as notoriety goes. I think she's a little more well-known. But I don't think she's uh, like Rosa Parks well-known. Right. You know? So we might hear more about her in the future. So... But I thought that was cool that she's, okay, it, it sucks because Texas is segregated at this time. So her school was entirely black. So it kind of makes sense that it was named after a famous black figure. Right. But I. It's still cool. Out of that context, I thought it was cool that, you know, she's going to school, a school named after a notable black woman. Because mm-hmm. I. Because she ends up being a notable black yeah, woman. Yeah, I, I don't even see those today very much. So while in high school, Barbara heard Edith S. Sampson speak. Edith's LinkedIn profile would be jam-packed with impressive positions like first black member of the National Association of Women Lawyers and assistant wow. state's attorney and U.S. delegate to the United Nations, which also made her the first black U.S. representative at the U.N. You know, super casual. Super casual. Yeah, just super chill. So Edith is a badass. Edith is fucking slaying. And Edith's speech inspired Barbara Barbara to pursue a career as an attorney. Fuck yeah. Right? Now, the list of schools which Barbara could attend were limited because segregation. That whole stupid fucking bullshit that I still am, like, disgusted that we as humans came up with. Yeah. So she was admitted to Texas Southern University, which was a historically black university, where she majored in political science and history, which honestly, I think we would all be a better off as people in society if we all had more knowledge on political science and history. Right. Because those two things just go like so hand in hand. Yeah. Like, here, here's the thing. Am I jumping at the bit to learn about a bunch of p- political science? I'm not. Pickles. Pickle science? Yes, give me them pickles. Uh, actually, okay, total side note. I was at a restaurant the other night, and there was an ingredient in one of the meals that was pickled cucumbers. I'm like, isn't that just a pickle? <laughs> just say it's a pickle, damn it. Why are you trying to make it fancy? Anyway, but I would be, I, I feel like I would understand a lot more if I had a better understanding of political science. Yeah, I'm I working agree. on the history part. Working on that. Maybe the next three years is political science. <laughs> it's fucking not. We all know it's not. Anyway, Barbara. We're, th- we're changing our topic, guys. We're just going to be. Whining po- about political science. Whining about poli sci. Uh, so Barbara thrived her academics and student life. She joined the debate team and Ooh. competed against students from universities such as Brown, Yale, and Harvard. 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 Oh. Which you contractually we are not allowed to say without having our pinkies up and saying in a super pretentious accent. So so she beat the students from Brown and Yale and tied with the students from Harvard to become a national champ. Fuck yeah. So she's, an, she's a great debater and an amazing orator, which will come into play later. But I love she's going to this school that literally exists because there were no universities for black people and she's kicking she's slaying she's the ivy she's ass. got her hedge trimmers and she's like come at me you ivy motherfuckers <laughs> i'm a clip you so she was also a member of the delta sigma theta sorority if you want to hear more about sororities listen to kelly's bonus history happening up 
episode on our Patreon. You can join for as little as $1 a month. Other notable members. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> included Shirley Chisholm, who Kelly also covered, and Mary Church Terrell, who's, who's like a super famous suffragist. Yes, she is. We probably should cover her. No, I was going to say, she, she's not like Susan B. Anthony famous, but if you have oh, yeah. any basic interest in women's history or You'll women's suffrage, you've heard that name. So in 1956, Barbara graduated. This is why I didn't graduate magna cum laude. She graduated magna cum laude and went to went on to attend Boston University School of Law, where she earned her degree wow. and passed the bar exam in 1959. That same year. She first entered the political arena by working on the presidential campaign for a one John F. Kennedy. Oh. Ever heard of him? She's just like name dropping like, yeah, I worked on the political campaign for John F. Kennedy, or as I call him, John F. <laughs> We're just that close. I like that you did that with your pinky yeah. up too. So instead of having a what the fuck do I do now post-graduation crisis like I definitely Me, did, yeah. where I was like, should I join the Peace Corps? What? <laughs> should I join AmeriCorps? Because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Should I teach English in Japan? Like, what am I doing? But that would be cool. That would. I actually knew someone who did that. It was really neat, but it, it nothing paid. Like, it's, Anyway, uh, instead of having that whole, like, weird crisis barbara spent a year teaching political science at tuskegee and institute in alabama before moving back to houston in 1960 and starting her own practice mm. so just two years later barbara was ready to embark on her own political career and ran Ooh. for the texas house of representatives just like her great-grandfather heck yeah so she did this in 1962 she lost but undeterred, Barbara ran again in 1964, and again she lost. <laughs> instead of making a third attempt at the House of Representatives, Barbara decided instead to run for the Texas Senate, which, I don't know, I guess I always I always imagine the Senate as being harder to get into than the House of Representatives. I, that, I don't know if that's true. I don't think I don't so. think it is, but it just, I thought it was interesting. It's like, oh, well, the House of Reps didn't work. I'm going to go for the fucking Senate. <laughs> So in 1966, she won the election, making her the first black woman to be elected to the Texas Senate and the first black Good senator job. since 1883. In Texas or in general? In Texas. It, this is the Texas Senate. This isn't oh, okay. the, the U.S. Senate. Yeah, exactly. So for my fellow math haters, that's a difference of 83 years. There had not been a black that. senator in 83 goddamn years. Far too long. So as a senator, Barbara worked to establish a minimum wage law, advocate for anti-discrimination statements in business contracts, and worked to establish a Fair Employment Practices Commission. Wow. So she was like truly a friend of the working Joe. Yeah. Or Joanne. Or non-identifying Jay. We'll say Jay. <laughs> On March 28th, 1972, Barbara was elected president of the Texas State Senate, making her the first black person in the whole goddamn country to oversee a legislative body. Wow. She, she's like first on first on first. Also, because she's just racking up these historic firsts, Barbara served as governor of Texas for one day. <laughs> I don't know if the normal governor was like... On sick? vacation or sick or what that was, but she she was the governor of Texas 
on June 10th, 1972, making her the first black woman to serve as governor of any state. I have so many questions. I, it was like, I think she was also elected kind of the, the like, the backup. Okay, so she's so, like... The so like vice president, basically, like, kind so of. She's maybe like he got sick or was somehow out of commission or dead, possibly for a day. So she was in charge mm-hmm. for a. <laughs> and that, and that's not the main focus, so I didn't get into it too much. But I just thought that was super funny. Like for one day, she made that historic first, and you know sometimes it only takes one day, yeah. or one evening, where you start smashing up a bar because you're so sick of the cops hassling you for being part of the LGBTQ plus community. And then you start a movement that we're start still celebrating today. God damn you it. March it out. When in doubt, march it out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so that same year, Barbara ran for and was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. So well, now, yeah, now she's we up in there. Congress. And this made her the first Texas woman to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives. Not just black women, like first I mean, yes, woman first black, from Texas. First black woman, too, yeah. from Texas. So around this time, you know, like late late 60s, Barbara met an educational psychologist. Yeah. Who, psychologists are the best. Yeah. Named Nancy <laughs> Earl on a camping trip. I'm like, oh, oh you're smart and outdoorsy? Win. Hey. Yeah, hey. <laughs> What's up? So Barbara and Nancy would become close friends, besties, roommates, colleagues, anything but lovers. History hates lovers. Yes. <laughs> oh, such a good but song. But they were lovers. They were lovers. They were 100% deaf lovers. And there isn't a lot known about Barbara and Nancy's 30-year relationship. because I'm sure they kept it quiet. Yeah. Well, neither woman publicly acknowledged their romance. And I'm like really like well i think, I, I think it was like is public out, outside, public yeah outside yeah. like family and stuff yeah and and this shouldn't surprise anyone barbara was a black woman who held a high office in the texas senate at, in the 60s and 70s well, and, and then, then went the on US to side, the u.s yeah. uh yeah house of representatives so to put into perspective harvey milk who's probably one of the most well-known gay politician, American politicians ever. Uh, He became the first openly gay man to be elected to public office in California, which is historically a pretty, like, welcoming state to the LGBTQ. That's not 100% true. It's parts of California. But you know what I mean. But you know what I mean. Like, our perception of California and Texas when it comes to the queer community is very different. very different. So he wasn't elected until 1977. Wow. Yeah, he he ran for office a bunch of times and lost. Uh, but and then he was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. So not like the state yeah. Senate or House or anything. Um, not to not to diminish that, no, but, but I'm but just it's saying more just so he's also are aware. He's also a white man. Barbara's a black woman. And if she's out, yeah. that that would be, would be so bad. Unfortunately, that just would have been detrimental to her career. So. Yeah. In Barbara's obituary, and potentially her life. Exactly. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that's another thing I don't think we can understate. It's not just oh well, some people might not like you or might give you dirty look. No, someone might actually murder you. Yeah, someone might, yeah. And that's it's awful. And then they might say that they had the they had gay panic and get off. Yeah. So. So in Barbara's obituary, Nancy would be listed as Barbara's quote longtime companion. Aww. And other sources labeled her as Barbara's same-sex partner. So it was known, 
but it wasn't like known. Yeah, she wasn't like open, like what people yeah. would consider openly. Yeah. And I get the impression that their romantic relationship was really low key with no overt shows of public affection. And uh, we, you know, probably we not because if we she's don't in have the letters, eye, yeah, you know, and we don't have letters to look no. back on as far as I know, but it seems like one of those things where people close to them probably knew, but like it just wasn't talked about. Right. Because obviously someone knew because it's in her obituary. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, Sally Ride. We didn't know she was until her obituary. Yeah. And it came out in her obituary. And like the people, her, her f- friends and family knew. Yeah. But the public didn't. No. Which, yeah, so that's a very different thing. So Nancy was incredibly important, an incredibly important part of Barbara's life. And yeah. even helped Barbara write some of her speeches. Oh. Which, like I said, she's an amazing orator. And her speech giving is a huge part of why we remember yeah. Barbara today. So... Just because we don't have a picture of them kissing or they weren't like leading a pride parade, I don't Doesn't want to not. diminish no. their relationship and Nancy's part in Barbara's life. So the U.S. National Archives also recognizes Barbara as the first LGBTQ plus woman in Congress, Yay. period. So that we know of. Yeah. In Congress, Barbara advocated for banks to serve poor and minor- minority communities. For a second, I thought you were going to say poor manure and i'm like wait what? you, <laughs> you know serve we have been people? sleeping on that poor manure for far too long it is time <laughs> to rise <laughs> but no uh for banks to serve poor and minority communities because they kind of weren't she uh advocate for strengthening voter protection for people of color and authored an act that ended price fixing amongst manufacturers so like all stuff that we're like yes 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 right Barbara also served on various committee com- committees. Committees? This is what happens when you have two M's and I, two T's and two E's. Committees. Can I just say the English language? We we okay, we complain about every other language, but the English language it's makes so no goddamn sense. <laughs> um but this included three terms on the Judiciary Committee. Committee. Uh, Committee. You is have, this just how you I know, talk you know, now? No, you know what's great is both times you said it right and then said it again with the the, the stuttering. I think I heard it in my head that I said committee. No, committee. both times you said committee. God damn it. <laughs> it's contagious. Both this times is just who we are now. You said committee and then corrected yourself to committee. a bitch. Am I hearing in dyslexia Apparently. now? Apparently. I don't think that's dyslexia, but yes. Oh, God. Okay. The ju- you know what? I'm not. I'm just going to power through. If I say committee, y'all just get ready for it's that. It's committee. So she was uh, served three terms on the Judiciary Committee. Don't know what that is? Well, neither did I. So Mother Google called on me speaking words of wisdom. According to judiciary.house.gov. I know everyone has that bookmarked. Right. It's your favorite government website. The House Judiciary Committee is the second oldest one in Congress and oversees a lot. There's so much. It does a fuck time. I mean, it's a lot to do with the courts, isn't it? Yeah. So for the purposes of our story, it's important to note that uh, it deals with oversight in the U.S. Department of Justice and Homeland Security. It oversees the yeah. judiciary shit. You, the judiciary committee, the philologist. <laughs> the philologist. <laughs> so little did she know, 
Barbara, our sweet, amazing, wonderful Barbara, was about to have a starring role in one of our nation's most notorious presidential scandals. Dun, dun, dun. Cue the gopher. On June 17th, 1972, members of President Richard Nixon's re-election committee broke into the Democratic National Committee headquarters located in the Watergate complex in Washington, D.C. as part of a large, like, political espionage and saboteur campaign. Right. If all that sounds familiar... You have been paying attention to anything. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, like, they talk about that in school. Yeah. It's the Watergate scandal. Exactly. In ca- just in case anyone was lost. <laughs> if you want to know more, just Google Watergate scandal. Just ignore anything that has something other than water before gate because... That's not it. That, that's not what we're talking about. So, um... The ensuing cover-up by President Nixon and his staff landed Nixon in the hot seat and left an enduring legacy of using Gate as the suffix for any and all scandals, perceived or real. (laughs) The House of Representatives began the impeachment process against Nixon for aiding in the cover-up of the Watergate break-in, specifically for uh, obstruction of justice, abuse of power, and contempt of Congress. And I'm not going to tell the whole Watergate story because I don't need to. And better no, people and podcasts have done it. Basically, happened. Nixon covered it up. Now he's in trouble. Yeah. That is the sh- super short version yeah, of it. Yeah, and he, there's literally tapes of him, like, playing the cover. I'm like, dude, I know this is at a time where not everyone feels right. that they're being listened to there at all times. There was a guy times. named Deep Throat involved. Isn't that it's right, NS agent? There was a kidnapping involved in the cover up. Yeah. And I want to cover that woman one of these days, too. I just need to say that. Yeah. There's a guy named Deep Throat involved. And... Yeah, but we're all super hypersexualized now in the, yeah, right? in the you know, 2000s, whatever. Apparently it was because he had a deep voice, but it's like, mm. <laughs> He's the gay icon that we, we deserve. We <laughs> um, but as we've learned through recent events... Before an impeachment can happen, before someone can like be put on trial, there has to be an investigation by the House Judiciary Committee into whether or not there is even evidence of impeachable offenses. What do they call that? Like in a normal court, isn't it the um, discovery? Discovery. That's it. Okay, I don't know if that was the arraignment, but like the discovery is where. But like the just both determining sides are getting information. Yeah, but just determining even if there's enough evidence to bring charges against someone. I thought that has a specific name. You keep talking. All right. Kelly's gonna go to Google. So the House uh, Judiciary Committee held televised hearings during which Barbara Jordan delivered a 15 minute opening statement on July twenty fifth, nineteen seventy four. Barbara Jordan the national debate champion became an instant national sensation with her powerful speech in favor of Nixon's impeachment. Like they'd seen the evidence and she's like, Ooh, he, he fucked up. Not that she directly said that or was like, yeah, let's impeach Nixon. But she used the spirit of the constitution, sounded cited founding fathers and former presidents and spoke of the government systems of checks and balances and their role in preventing abuses of power as a clever way of saying let's impeach him without actually saying it and this is especially evident in her closing statement when she asks i love this because 
it comes off as so sassy. Has the president committed offenses and planned and directed and acquiesced in a course of conduct with the Constitution, in a course of conduct which the Constitution will not tolerate? Well, the answer is yes, but she goes on to say, that's the question. But as she's saying this, like, oh, has the president done all these terrible things? And everyone in the audience is like, yeah. And she's like, that's the question we're here to answer. Yeah. We all know the answer. But, you know, kind of that she's like listing out his offenses without directly holding him responsible. She also used evidence presented in Nixon's defense against him, saying, quote, this morning, in a discussion of the evidence, we were told that the evidence which purports to support the allegations of misuse of the CIA by the president is thin. So basically, she's saying, we're told that the evidence against Nixon is thin. We're told that the evidence is insufficient. What that recital of the evidence this morning did not include is what the president did know on June 23rd, 1972. She's like, they're saying he didn't know all this shit, but they're neglecting to mention the shit we all know he knew right. because he's on the tape saying he knew. <laughs> she then goes on to list a number of damning things that the president did know. And this was a very powerful speech, and I highly recommend everyone listen to it or read it. Like Hearing her deliver it is, oh, yeah. very, is very powerful, and it's this beautiful balance of sensibility, reason, and passion because I feel like, especially now, we have a hard time towing the line between logic and reason, but also the emotional component, which, whether you like it or not, is a part of everything we do, everything we're working towards. You can't take emotion out of it. And she does a really good job of blending those two things where she can't be cited as being hysterical or over-emotional, but obviously she's very passionate and committed to her work and her role in all of this. And I want to highlight a couple of sections of the speech that really stuck out. So in her opening, Barbara states, Earlier today, we heard the beginning of the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. We the people... It's a very eloquent beginning, but when that document was completed on the 17th of September in 1787, I was not included in that, we the people. Mm. I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton just left me out by mistake. But through the process of amendment, interpretation, and court decision, I have finally been included in we the people. And I just... That's so... I loved that. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. But I, it, it's, and that's not like a huge part of but her, still... it, but, but she's kind of, she, so I, I want, I want to put some more framework in this. She's like a freshman member. It is very uncommon for a freshman member of Congress like, to be like talking about knew this. She was a good orator. She was the, she, everyone was like, oh man, no, if someone's got to speak, it's got to be her. She goes on to say, today I am an inquisitor and hyperbole would, would not be fic, sorry, would not be fictional and would not overstate the solemnness that I feel right now. My faith in the constitution is whole. It is complete. It is total. And I am not going to sit here and be an idle spectator to the diminu, shit. Diminutive? The, the dim, the diminution okay. committee, <laughs> Esther Menominical, the diminution, the subversion, 
the destruction of the Constitution. And what I think is cool about that, she, she doesn't like make a lot of references to like, yeah, hey, I was included in the Constitution other than this. But she's kind of framing her role because she's like, even, and she's, it's like she's playing both sides. Right. Even though I was not included in We the People in the Constitution, even we though it. it specifically left me out, I believe in it. And I believe in our government. And I believe in our ability to, to govern to fairly exactly. and exactly. And I, oh, that was just so That's amazing. Scary, yeah. Um, also what was probably the sassiest thing she says towards the end is just so masterful. She says, if the impeachment provision in the constitution of the United States will not reach the offenses charged here, then perhaps that 18th century constitution should be abandoned to a 20th century paper shredder. Oh, it was, I was like, I love that she's like, I oh! believe in it, but if if our government can't do the right thing here, maybe it needs to be. Well, it's like if we're not going to pay attention to the Constitution, why the fuck do we have it? Right. But I, I was like, that's the mic drop walk it, away. Yeah, it was where everyone goes like, oh, Barbara fucking said that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that made Barbara's speech so powerful is that it was, like I said earlier, it was highly unusual for a freshman member of Congress, Congress to give a televised opening remarks, especially on such a critical thing, because Watergate was kind of a was watershed huge. moment for our distrust in the you know U.S. government, let alone for a black woman to have that role. Right. And, and and in her clever way, saying that the president of the United States done fucked up. That was wild. So Nixon would resign the presidency, making him the only U.S. president to do so. More historic first. Yay. <laughs> this was kind of a bummer, though. Uh, before he could be fully impeached by the House or receive a Senate trial. So he kind of like... He was like, you know what, guys? I'll just leave. Yeah, he's like, okay. Okay, I know how this is going to go. I almost see it as him like flipping up the board. Like, I know I'm going to lose. I know I'm going to get fucked. So I'm going to step out before that happens. That didn't mean he couldn't be tried on the state or federal level. It just meant that Congress no longer could touch him. But that didn't happen either. No. Because he was pardoned by his former vice president, now president, Gerald Ford. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck, fuck all of you. In 1973, the year before her impeachment speech, Barbara was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and Nancy oh, no. served as her primary caregiver. Yeah. So Go Nancy. also while all this is going on, she's battling MS. Jesus. Like, good she's God, still Barbara. She's getting up there and doing it. Yeah. As a congresswoman, Barbara Jordan sponsored or co-sponsored over 300 bills or resolutions, many of which are still in place as law today. Yay. In 1975, she became the first black American and first woman to be a keynote speaker at the Democratic National Convention. Wow. Uh, which is another mind blower of a first speech. Time, first time, first first. Yeah. No, she's just, she's dropping first like it's nobody's business. She's like, I don't want anyone else to have to break down these barriers. So she's going in like a bull in a china shop, yeah. just like ready to like wreck I got the that hammer, shit. Let's do this. Exactly. She's tearing down those walls. In 1977, she was also considered by President Jimmy Carter for the position of U.S. Attorney General, but he didn't appoint her. Um, after this, Barber decided not to run for re-election and took on a professorship at the University of Texas in Austin. Oh, Holly's eye, I assume. I, I don't know. 
the the cool part about this is that this is a school that she was not able to attend when she was going for her law degree because it was for whites only and now she's fucking teaching there right that's boom god i love her in the 90s, President Bill Clinton considered nominating Barbara to the Supreme Court, but by this time, her MS had progressed significantly, oh, no. and she was had also been diagnosed with leukemia. Oh, my God. And her health was just, like, not... It wasn't great. It was in decline. So, in fact, she nearly died in 1988 while doing physical therapy in her oh, backyard pool. <laughs> So she's like swimming in her pool, doing her physical therapy for her MS. And Nancy comes out and finds Barbara floating in the pool. Understandably freaks out, but pulls her out and manages to revive her. So Nancy literally saved her partner's life. That's insane. Oh my God. So panic. I, I would lose my goddamn mind. Instead, President Clinton appointed her uh, as the chairperson of the U.S. Commission on Immigration Reform in 1994, which she served on until her death. It's a little less strenuous than being a Supreme Court justice. Yeah. I I love that it's like, well, you got to be doing something, though. We can't just We're not letting you walk away. We can't sleep on you like this. On January 17th, 1996, Barbara died in Austin, Texas at 59 years old from pneumonia, which was a complication of leukemia. So it was, it was the leukemia, which I'm like, I'm sorry, you're diagnosed with MS and then you also get leukemia. Like, and then you almost die in a pool. Like (laughs) woman, Jesus, stop it. (laughs) Barbara was buried in the Texas state cemetery near the father of Texas, Stephen F. Austin. And as a final first, Barbara became the first black person to be buried in the state or the Texas state cemetery an integration of which she had advocated for during her time in the Texas State Senate. Aww. Just like, why, why good, is the only white job, people are allowed to be Good job, Tejas, for doing right? that eventually. Texas comes off looking pretty decent in this story. Legacy. According to AmericanRhetoric.com, which needs a serious update because it's still built in HTML, Jesus Christ, my God. And I'm not going to purport to the... I'm not going to purport to the, um, like seriousness or the the standards of this site because it, it was it was a footnote on wiki but they like have every american yeah. speech ca- cataloged on there but they have a list of the top 100 speeches american speeches of all time unsurprisingly martin luther king jr's i have a dream and fdr's pearl harbor address to the nation are ranked one and four respectively no surprise there oh God, that address to the nation god they, they were playing it at the museum when we went to yeah, the Pacific that would War be, Museum. Yeah, remember I told yeah. you, I was like, I'm tearing up over here. Yeah, that was, that was really a lot. Um, so they're one in four. And these are speeches we've all heard of. We can at least, like, quote one line from each of them. Barbara's on the Articles of Impeachment speech is ranked 13th. Wow. But this isn't her only inclusion on the list. Because remember how I said she was the first, like, yeah. black person, the first woman to do the uh, Democratic DNC yep. keynote address? That speech is ranked five, just under FDR's Holy Pearl shit. Harbor address. Holy, yeah, I did not, watch it I didn't, listen to it. I didn't listen to it because that was not the primary one I was focusing on. Also, this story was getting a little long, but I will definitely go and listen. But I thought that was cool. Like, these are speeches we all know and heard of. And then it's like her keynote to the DNC is ranked well, and right under FDRs. Well, it makes me wonder, FDRs. like, if we've heard, like, 
heard a quote from it and not realize yeah. that it was like her speech. Nearly every article I read, I read praised Barbara's impeachment address for being like so her. She was so eloquent. It was such an eloquent address. She was so articulate. And I wonder if it's because that was shown on a national stage, mm-hmm. whereas I'm, I think that the DNC at the time wasn't like broadcast, so well, only the people there would have heard it. Watergate is also a much it's more a, notable event thing. than the 1976 DNC. Oh my God, Freud. Get out of my head. The 1976 DNC. But so all these all these articles are saying like she's so eloquent and she's so articulate. And I know you don't have to like be a great orator or be in Congress. It's not a given. But I couldn't help think of how like, oh, you're so articulate is used as a microaggression against people of color. Oh, yeah. And particularly we were just black talking people. about microaggressions <laughs> yes. in I'm taking a multicultural class and that yeah, that it that's on like the list of most common ones. Exactly. And the the whole idea behind it is that the baseline assumption is that, oh, you as a black person, it's un- I don't expect you to be articulate or well-spoken. Right. And so it's are. worth pointing out because it's unusual to me. Yeah. Which is shitty. It's gross. And I, I it was one of those things I was like, <sighs> yes, she, she was eloquent, articulate, but should that have been a huge surprise? Right. So, and I don't think it can be understated how important Barbara's representation of an educated, powerful black woman on television was on national television. This was in the wake of the civil rights movement of the sixties and moving into the peak of second wave feminism of the seventies. Uh, the Vietnam war yeah. was the thing, like, there was a lot going on. It was very interesting times to live in the image that the white American public had of black people, let alone black women was being consistently challenged. And Barbara encompassed the intersection of being black female disabled because that ms was no joke and as we know now queer in america and that level of representation for the time was huge huge. and so i mean it was non-existent for the time yeah and i'm i was thinking i was like well what are the representations that the white american public are getting of black people like what have they been being fed it's super racist and it's super negative so it, I think it was very important to see her up there and just totally kick ass. Right. And I don't even know if that was intentional on Congress's part. I think she was just like the best person for exactly. the job, to be so honest. That, that honestly makes it better. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't chosen because of her skin color yeah. or the fact that she was a woman. And they were like, look, we let people in. Yeah. You know, it, she was she chosen wasn't a token figure because she was good at it. Yeah, but yeah, everything I read, it was like, oh, you know, here's a picture of her during her eloquent speech. And I'm like, couldn't you say it's it's a powerful, historic, groundbreaking, you know? Yeah, there's so many other adjectives you can use. Yeah. Why are you sticking with that one? So I couldn't, I couldn't help but like kind of, but just as Edith S. Sampson, a strong, educated black woman inspired her, Barbara Jordan continues to inspire us today. And be, if we keep telling her story, she's going to inspire generation after generation, even though she's no longer with I us. I mean, even if they don't know who she is, she's going, you know, she broke, like we said, she broke down so many walls yeah. for people today. Exactly. But yeah, I thought that was amazing. And that's the, that's the story of Barbara Gate. Because if everyone else can use gate as a suffix, you bet your ass I'm going to do it here. 
<laughs> it's there's my ne- time. There's never been a more appropriate time. <laughs> yep. Yep. Definitely better than Pizzagate. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for sticking with me. I know there was a lot of government stuff in that. Um, you made it all very, at least for me, which I haven't taken like a poli sci course since yeah. high school. Like you made it all very understandable. I, I'm glad. And that's why I tried to do. Cause I kind of got to the point where I understood it. it was like, this is how I'm going to tell it because I don't know what the fuck is going on. I started to get more into Watergate and, and I'm like, like, nope. Oh my God. <laughs> so I just really broad strokes that because it's not about Watergate. It's about Barbara's part in holding the president of the United States accountable for his bullshit. All the bullshit. Yep. Hey, Emily. Hey, Kelly. What are you thankful for? Ooh. It's that time. I got to learn how to say, like, I'm thankful for, like, estoy thankful, pero, or poor, or para. I don't remember which one you would do. Estoy muy thankful. Gracias. (laughs) Para. Mi amiga. (laughs) Kelly. Um, I'm really thankful that we had the opportunity to go to Texas. That was, I mean, it was truly a once in a lifetime thing. We got to perform for the, the, the two remaining USS Indianapolis survivors. Like even if April, they didn't know we were in there, ex- yeah. we still did. Um, we got to have lunch with them. There was also a Pearl Harbor survivor who that week had celebrated his 101st birthday. Like mm-hmm. death does not want this man. <laughs> we, I, we actually did briefly talk to him on his way out and that yep yep and then uh there is there was another world war ii veteran who was there with his father and it, at the combat zone of the pacific war museum they have his this courtyard was the world war ii vet i didn't think the sorry sorry was. sorry i i think i screwed that up but the the world war ii yet was there with his son and there's this big map in the courtyard of the pacific theater and it's all to scale and it really gives you an idea of just how massive it was and the son is going around and he's like, well, my father started here and then he went here and then he went here and, and then, then he went, went back island, and he went and back and he, like, he went back and, and there he was went. a storm and like, it was so cool. And he was like walking the yeah. island and it was so, so cool to see like to the point where Kina who like works there was like, would you come back and like actually do that for yes. people? Because yeah, with like a scale map, it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. So crazy to hear about these ships that like, and I, that's, I mean, that's why they invented the policy of island hopping. Yeah. Oh, it was just, it was it was fascinating. Fredericksburg was a really lovely little, lovely little town to explore. San Antonio was nice. San Antonio, we got to we did all six missions, including the Alamo. Almost forgot we did that. Um, As you're wearing an <laughs> Alamo shirt. <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, we got to see the cathedral. I got to see the Pope's blood. That was pretty sweet. First Polish a, that Pope was too. A weird. I, I got to show that picture of my mom because. She's she's Polish, and so him being the first Polish pope was a big deal. And I'm like, well, hey, mom, I have a picture of his blood, his bloody little Band-Aid. <laughs> I just love... So the whole story behind that and the reason they have it displayed is this pope, like, was not... He was like, no, no one can have any of my, like, skin or he, hair He's or like, blood. I'm not like, giving like, away my like, body bits. <laughs> super weird. Stop asking. And then he went to the cathedral and he had like a bandaid on and it like must have fallen off. Or, or they took, yeah. And they just took it and put it in glass. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God. And then they have a big statue of him above. It's, it's, it's wild. very interesting. But it was, it was fascinating. It was, 
an incredible experience. Would definitely go back. And I'm, I'm really, I'm so thankful for Kina for like putting up with us because she's obviously working during all this. And I hope that we were a benefit to her instead of a I detriment so. or at least kind of a net neutral I mean, inconvenience. She did thank us for making her take a break. So at yes. least like we had a little bit of positive in there. Yep. Yep. But yeah. The, everything was amazing. The museum was incredible and I highly recommend it. And yeah, if you're ever in Fredericksburg, go check out Perspective Winners. <laughs> Just it's amazing. Another plug in there. Go check out. Even where... though we have like no association and are definitely not getting paid for this. No, no. And they're legitimately just awesome. Yeah. And you can see where Admiral Nimitz was born. Yeah. It was pretty yeah. cool too. I love what they've done with the space. <laughs> nice neutrals. Yeah. So Kelly, what are you thankful for? Well, I mean, obviously all of that. Oh, well, that's kind of why I said it. I feel, I felt like I could cover that for both of us. Um, I'm really thankful this just happened last night, so I'll, I'll go with this. But that is first, and then yep. this is second. But I'm thankful for friends that understand me and my, like, anxieties. Because I had a thing last night, and I was like, I don't know if I should go. Like, I was having extreme social anxiety because it was, like, a work thing, but not a work thing. It was it was kind of, like, it was a hangout outside of work. And I'm like, with I work people. have never hung out with these people outside of work. And so I was like, I don't know if I should go. Like, I feel really weird. Like, eh, eh, eh. Because it's one of those jobs where I'm not technically, like, below them. Like, they're not my boss. But they're still in a position of higher power than I am. Even though, like, technically they have absolutely no say on my job, really. You know, so it's just like, it was just weird. And I was like, I don't know if I should go. And my, my friend, who I work with, was sick. Just kidding. I love you, Charlotte. I also love Charlotte. I swam with um, her growing up. This is such a small city. And and she's in my cohort for school. So um, it's but very like, small city. It's a very small city. <laughs> well, she actually got me the job. So, um, but like, so she wasn't going. So I was like, oh God, I don't have my lifeline. You know, like I mm-hmm. don't have the one person I know I can talk to. And I was like panicking. And I was talking to Charlotte and I was like, I don't like, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to go. Like, I don't know if I should go. Like, I just feel really weird. And she was like, you are not awkward in person. You are like super nice and chatty and like, you're great. And basically like, and then it was funny because my comment back was, I was like, was chatty like an insult? And she's like, yes, Kelly, I wrote out this entire compliment and then slipped in a passive aggressive insult, right? You're in the lovely. Middle. You're kind. You're beautiful. You're a raging bitch. You're <laughs> eloquent. But like <laughs> what she wrote and like having friends that understand anxiety and, you know, stuff like that. And then like, yeah, what she wrote was enough to make me be like, okay, I'll go. Yeah. Like, and so I'm just thankful to have people in my life that, understand me and you know are there to help me with stuff like that because yeah I had a good time it was a little awkward but it wasn't as awkward as I thought it was gonna be yeah you gotta have confidence in yourself and sometimes it does really help to hear someone give the outside perspective of like I know you think you're weird and awkward but you're not right or even if you are not in the weird you're in a group of other people that aren't gonna care about it yeah like your your brand of weird and awkward is very much in line with everyone else's so yeah yeah, I'm also thankful that we got to go on a walk. Yeah. I'm going to be really sad I'm, when you're I no know. longer working close to me and all the bike trails because I love going on walks on our lunch breaks. Yeah, so I don't know if we've mentioned, I think we have, that we work like three blocks apart from each other, maybe yeah. not even. And so, yeah, sometimes 
probably in the summer we'll probably do it like once a week or mm-hmm. every other week like we just go out and we walk on our lunch break because we're we also work by these beautiful bike trails along the river so, so pretty oh my god it's truly the best place and so when it's like really nice out like you get that breeze coming off the like river even though it's kind of a, it's a tiny river but it's still yeah. like it's just it's, it's gorgeous. gorgeous it's amazing i'm thankful for that all right well thank you dear listener for inviting us into your ear holes and into your brain where we're just gonna dig in deep and make camp please like us on facebook at whining about herstory instagram at wah pod twitter at wah underscore pod our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find our merch and links to everywhere to listen to us and everything like that yeah it's uh pretty fucking sweet i think there's a link to our patreon as emily said earlier you can donate for as little as one dollar a month one dollar and there's some interesting things on there and there'll be more there might be drunk uh, herstory trivia. Not us. Me giving drunk herstory trivia to my husband and our friend because I do think it would be hilarious. Because they don't know history, let alone women's, women's history. history. <laughs> just, so I think it'll just be really funny. Yep. Uh, Kelly and I are also playing some other Patreon bonus things. We know we have not been as consistent with adding content to our Patreon as and, we want to be. And we appreciate all of you that have stuck around. And yes. if, if you didn't stick around... We totally understand yeah. and are not upset in any way, shape, or form. And we still love you. Like, we'll take you back. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I'm We'll let you hurt us again. <laughs> like, a Texas slideshow. It mm-hmm. might be, I might make it, break it up into multiple if, depending on how long it is. But like, so that'll, I'll like, put pictures and tell our story about Texas. Yeah, I hope you put it to the song Country Road. No, it's going to be to me, talking. Oh, <laughs> I just, I was imagining like... One of those graduation slideshows, yeah, where it's just a bunch of pictures slowly fading in and out. I mean, it will be that, but yeah. it'll be me talking. Yep. I'll, oh. fi- I'll find, like, a non-copyrighted... Um, Take me home. No, a non-copyrighted, like, instrumental to play in the background. Non-committed country road to the place where I was visiting. Where I should be. <laughs> Bring me wine. Generic American state, take me home, rural road. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to come up with a whole non-committal parody of... <laughs> I like the bring, the bring me wine I threw in there. It's, a, it's very on brand for us. Also, raise five stars wherever you listen. Five stars. Including Spotify. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Um, again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Bye. Head down that rural road, y'all. Get that wine in the <laughs> committee. <laughs> We're going to start the wine committee. <laughs>